Well, today I want to ask you to invite you to be a part of um, exploring the gold mine of God's Word with fresh fervency and intensity in Psalm chapter 19. We'll be looking at the 19th Psalm together today. As we launch into 2023, I see a very timely vision for our church at this season of reaching for the gold of God's high calling in our lives. And interspersed over the first three months of this year, we'll be talking in total of five different ways that believers are called to go for the gold. Today, we are going to delve into the 19th Psalm. If you're thinking about that psalm in your own Bible, open your Bible to 19. You might remember that, uh, sort of coincidentally in terms of numbers, that two of the psalms out of the 150 psalms in the Psalter that are, are particularly focused on, on the power and the eternal impact of the Word of God, the written Word of God in every believer's life, are Psalm 19 and Psalm 119. Now, those of you, if you think about it, you're going to be very relieved to think today um, that I'm not doing Psalm 119 because it has 176 verses. So you can now take a, br a breathe a sigh of relief. Okay, uh, but on the 19th Psalm, this is so particularly powerful as a thematic beginning of our Go for the Gold year here at Liberty Church. In fact, it is so vital to what we're going to be exploring, particularly this first quarter of the year in the pre-Easter season, that we're going to actually walk into this passage together today, but we're going to return to this passage in early February when I do a little segment for probably a couple of Sundays that I call a Bible study workshop. And we're going to be looking at some ways that believers get into the Word of God. We're going to be talking about principles of, of meditation in God's Word and other aspects of that. So I want to invite you to take this 14th verse of Psalm 19 as a springboard, kind of a launching point, but also to invite you to uh, soak in this psalm. I want to bring Psalm 19 back into our lives as what I've called in the past a saturation psalm. And that is, with 14 verses, there's 101 words in the Hebrew text, it's not that long, but in 14 verses we get in one very, very eloquent and uh, incredibly rich expression how vital it is that you and I become avid, active, and wholehearted students of the Word of God. It's easy to kind of uh, set aside our Bibles in the rush of events and the inflow of news and the rapid-fire kind of experience that social media brings to so many people today, so that, in a sense, even very serious Christians often find themselves with just little tiny bits and pieces of the Bible in their life, maybe a little quote here, a little uh, devotional there, maybe read part of a chapter here, but, it, but the actual enveloping of our lives in the Bible has been largely lost to many in our generation. 
probably the single most significant thing that could enrich and encourage and empower the lives of believers today in any church, and we'll be talking about our church, of course, but in any church would be to get into the Bible. If you just say it bluntly like that, some people might say, oh, that's boring, Pastor, I've done that, I've tried that before. But anyone who thinks for one split second that it's boring to get into the Bible is, has missed the absolute wonder of the adventure described in Psalm 19. So I want to begin with the 14th verse because it is also a prayer that I'll invite you to share in these coming weeks. It's a simple prayer. It's a familiar prayer. It's one that um, most everyone here will recognize immediately. Uh, and that's good because part of the value of what Psalm 19 brings us is that familiarity can be our friend and that we can benefit far more than we realize from revisiting and re-engaging with what we may think we already know. And so to think of it this way, it is very, very crucial that we can all pray this prayer. And would you pray the prayer with me in Psalm 19, verse 14? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Now we said it, now I'm going to ask you to pray it with me. Let's pray it together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. In the name of Jesus, can you shout an amen? Now, one of the values of a simple and repetitive prayer of that nature would be that it brings to our hearts what going for the gold is really all about. And that is this, the fact that God has called each of us in a unique way to glorify him. And when we think of the, the value of the word of God in our lives, we are often surprised as we get into God's word how the word of God not only addresses our inner needs for encouragement and hope and strength and grace, but the word of God also gives us promises that anticipate our problems. They anticipate our problems. Ian, for just a moment, Media Shout app isn't opening right for some reason, so I can't move my slides. So maybe that, that remote, if you could. Thank you. Maybe Ian can look at that. So when you think about Psalm 19 and you have that open in your Bible, look at the beginning verse. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim his handiwork. This text in Psalm 19 begins in the most astronomical of ways. It begins with an exploration of the awesome glory of creation. And it hints at the most expansive version of that creation. And that is the awesome wonder and magnitude of outer space and all aspects of 
what is contained in that simple phrase, the heavens. Now, as I invite you in this phase of going for the gold to be gold mine explorers, I want to first invite you in your own Bible to see how that God has designed the very magnitude of creation to be a witness to the more important revelation, the more vital to every soul revelation of the Word of God bringing eternal life and hope and the vitality of a living relationship with God to every heart. I want to emphasize the everyness. I know that's not a word in your Webster's Dictionary, but it's my word. I want to emphasize the everyness of Psalm 19. By that I mean that three ways in this passage, the emphasis is on the comprehensive magnitude of God making himself known. We might say, actually, that the 19th Psalm is about the self-revealing character of our Creator and that in that self-revealing, the most priceless, the most indispensable, the most crucial way that He would disclose the magnitude of who He is to tiny, infinitesimally helpless individuals like us is in the written Word of God. Now, now think about it like this for a minute. How vitally we need it that there are many ways to demonstrate it, but one of the ways would be to think about Jesus first and think about how that the Lord Jesus Christ in the fourth chapter of Matthew and the fourth chapter of Luke, we see the account that when Jesus was brought into the most significant, intense testing and battering of his soul imaginable when Satan came to the Lord Jesus in that 40 days of fasting that is such a remarkable revelation of the Lord Jesus bringing his full humanity into contact with the gale force wind of evil at its zenith. Jesus, in a titanic confrontation with Satan, is confronted with three temptations aimed at derailing the Lord from his mission. And in light of each of those confrontations with Satan, we might imagine that our Lord and Savior Jesus would could simply... Um, do a miracle, or do something extraordinary to demonstrate his deity. And yet, in all three temptations, it is fascinating to realize that the way Jesus encountered Satan was with a three-word phrase, and that is, it is, say it with me, written. Say it with me, it is written. Now, lest we diminish the value of the written Word of God, which, which we can easily do by neglecting it, we should begin right there at the titanic conflict between our Lord Jesus and Satan, who sought in that encounter 
to undermine and derail the plan of God for our deliverance. And the Lord Jesus, with the magnitude of his full deity and humanity in his human body, as we've seen just in the Christmas season, the incarnation miracle, Jesus chooses, it is written. Now, not, not because, not only because of his knowledge of the word of God, but also because it is in the very nature of the word of God to equip us for war. So today, in a, in a culture that we all know is increasingly hostile, in a culture in which all of us are going to be encountering again and again and again in 2023, absolute, brutal, and often vulgar and blasphemous assaults upon the very nature of Almighty God and the purpose of Jesus Christ coming to the earth and the power of his truth in so many arenas of our culture, basic facts about God are not just ignored, but are brutally being assaulted. Any child of God, any Christian sitting in any church, who is not getting his or her soul enriched by the magnitude of the power of God's word, the most as the simple human tend to drift away from what they believe. So there, there are many ways to wander. G.K. Chesterton is quoted as saying, oh, about 110 years ago, that, uh, there are many ways and directions at which a man may fall. There's only one upright position. There's only one perpendicular. You can fall at many. Every time I saw that from Chesterton, I always thought of that when I was a little kid. Some boy, I'm going to date myself. Some, I remember about six years old, a little, uh, the little bozo, um, you know, the little bozo, uh, uh, little uh, balloon thing, and you'd knock it over in different directions. And I, I played with that for hours. Five years old, knock that thing over, it pops back up. Knock it over, pops back up. But in a sense. Bozos today are the sitting duck in, in, uh, in, in Christian life who think they can just kind of float along and sort of in a general vague way kind of believe in God and kind of know that he loves us, plan for our lives, and yet literally have no ammo when they are confronted with the devices of Satan. So let's think first about, about a breakdown of this chapter. And uh, with your Bible open, Psalm 9, read that first standard, so it'll be more maybe than what you have in your lap. The heavens are telling of the glory, and they're declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. He's talking in verse 2 about the astounding expanse of the heavens, including what we would call our immediate atmosphere around earth, but then what we'd also refer to as outer space. The heavens are telling the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of his hands, and 
It's almost as if it's personifying outer space or personifying atmospheric heavens. Can actually applies to both. But the personification is what I want to focus on here. Verse 2 is in a sense saying, the silent wonder of the stars spangled into outer space by the finger of the Creator are as a kind of language. It is as if every person on this planet who walks out of his or her home, whether it's a $2 million mansion or it's a little lean-to hut, every person has this in common at nighttime. They can walk out and look at the starry heaven. 19.2 is simply saying, that is a language from God. It's pouring forth speech. Now we might say, what, what does it say? Oh, that's where the wonder increases. Because in verse there's no speech, nor are there words. Is no part of the planet where this message is not being communicated, though, though silently. Their line has gone out through all the earth, verse 4, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them, that is in the stellar heavens, he has placed a tent for sun. So I want to ask you to think about this chapter. Kind of are like an invitation from God from what he called an invitation from God. Secondly, in verses 7 through 11, there are specific benefits. And they're stacked with synonyms for Scripture, with the emphasis being on what Paul explains to us in 2 Timothy 3.16. God breathed into Scripture from His very nostrils, the breath of in He breathed into Adam's nostrils, and Adam became a sentient being, a being, being soul. So in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul the Apostle says, all Scripture is given by the God-breathing in this phenomenal way that human instruments were used, though they were fallible in themselves and they needed salvation. Every human instrument of the writing of Scripture was a fallible person who needed salvation as well. And yet they became superintended by God as the instruments of God-breathed Scripture. So verses 7 through 11, the, the middle part of this 19th Psalm, then gives us six synonyms in the Word of God. So that we, when confronted with absolute will be trained, equipped by the Holy Spirit. It's written. This is what God says. Okay, and then, finally, I call the 13th verses a little while ago, other parts of it later. Now, 
As we begin it, to think of this first verse, that the heavens declare the glory of God, the word glory in verse 1 is kabod. In the Hebrew, it indicates a weightiness, a, a weight of glory, weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, the, the heaviness, the God moving in. He's there. He's here. He's alive. Now, we, we know that. And we might bear witness to that in, in our words because we know that God is present. But there's a distinct way that glory, used 199 times in the entire Old Testament, indicates the weightiness of the immediate manifest presence of Almighty God. And what is astonishing here is that this glory, this magnitude of knowing who he is and the weightiness of his presence has been referred to as a kind of, of, a, of a symbol of magnificence. On a very human level, though it doesn't do justice to the entire truth, but on a very human level, as an illustration, we may think of being someplace where a very, very notable person is, being, is entering the room. Uh, my mom and dad were in a visit to the, uh, one of the presidential libraries, and uh, uh, it was the one in uh, College Station, Texas. And uh, while my mom and dad were there, just doing the normal tour, uh, President, former President Bush came in with the, um, with the uh, Prime Minister of, uh, of Germany, the, the, former prime, uh, the former Premier of Germany, and uh, Helmut Kohl, and they walked in together and my mother was overwhelmed with just excitement about actually meeting President Bush. So people have this weightiness, this sense, this person is here, just a human being, but it's a person, and the magnitude of that meeting sticks in a person's brain. Well, that's just a time, that's so insignificant compared to the magnitude of this. But it, the, the, it helps us understand the meaning of the word. The kabod meant the weightiness of the significance of the person. And verse 1 is saying the heavens declare the magnitude of this person that you can't see when you look into the stars. And yet what astronomers now tell us is a over a hundred billion galaxies each with a hundred billion stars at least, give or take a few, I guess. Uh, and then you extrapolate that out. I need Matt's help to get the math right back there. But uh, you extrapolate all that out and then you get to the sum number, you know, far beyond Google, whatever it is, at describing the magnitude of what God created. And all Psalm 19 is saying is all of that that which can be seen by the most powerful telescopes today, and even that beyond what can be seen, is a witness to the kabod of God. The weightiness, the magnificence, the honor, the glory of who he is. And then we might say, well, let's bring it closer to home. It says, the skies, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So not just at nighttime, but in the daytime. A glance up at the beauty in the, the skies. Uh, my, my brother is a, is a 
amateur pilot, flies his own uh, plane that he co-owns with some other people, and um, he dropped out of the sky about six months ago over here at Carroll County Airport, just pop in and spend a night with Becky and me. And so sometimes when I'm driving to airports near our house, I see those little planes taking off, I always think, hmm, that, that must be a lot of fun. And uh, I know one of the guys who does that. There is a sense when you look at the skies, though, that you are, you are watching something created by a designer. Even something as commonplace as the, as the clouds or the cloud formation is a, is, is a part of the, this design, this magnificent design. And as the psalm flows on, we get, as, I, as, as we saw in verses 2 to 4, a personification of this phenomenon in nature that it's like, it's like the skies are talking to us, and yet they're not. You say, well, they're talking to us, what do they say? Well, they're not saying anything. They're not, they're not giving us something we can say, okay, this is what the stars are saying. In fact, that's the lie of astrology. That's the lie of astrology, a complete lie in misdirection, seeking some meaning in a specific star configuration is specifically warned against in Isaiah chapter 8, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, in Leviticus 23. All of these places warn against trying to get some false, some signal from the stars. No, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. If you try to get some message from the stars in an astrological sense, you are completely missing what they're saying. What they're saying silently is, we are here because of the divine designer. Now, what might we know this? We want to do one cross-reference. Would you open your Bible to Romans 1 and turn to the first chapter of Romans to note that this is not just some passing truth in the psalm or passing uh, aspect of it. It is specifically what in the gospel is drawn from in Romans chapter 1 to indicate that by design, God gave the, we may say, the language of his, of his creation in order that hearts would ask questions. Look at Romans 1, verse 19. In Romans 1, 19, again reading New American Standard today, because that which is known about God is evident within them, that is, the human heart has this innate knowledge that I must be designed. Uh, Webster's unabridged dictionary didn't, didn't emerge from some monkeys in a factory playing around on typewriters. The, the Webster's unabridged dictionary was designed and planned and put together in a, with expertise. How much more the stellar heavens, how much more the heart of a human being, the body of man. Now, go to the 20th verse of Romans 1. Here's where the Apostle Paul explaining how it is that to get to the heart of all human beings, God has given fascinating array, a fascinating array of evidences that we need him to disclose himself. Romans 1.20 says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. That is, B 
being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Verse 21 of Romans 1, For even though they knew God, here the text is referring not to the kind of knowledge of God we think of as an intimate knowledge, it is referring to the recognition of a designer. For though they, they could tell there must be a God, there must be not just a God, but a supreme being who has designed what, even at its best, the highest reaches of scientific exploration only scratch the surface of the magnitude of the order and the complexity and the beauty of what God has put even in the skies, much less in the human body or in the human relationship. And so Romans 1.21 continues, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. We're talking about going for the gold this year to glorify God. The opposite of that is a culture that refuses to honor God, refuses to even be thankful for the beauty of a star-studded sky. So toggle back to Psalm 19 and, and, and think of it now in that fifth verse that the psalmist then describes this giving this creation canvas of art in such a way as to help us see not only that God has painted the canvas in a magnificent way, but that it's more than a canvas. It's a living stage from which there is dynamic movement for not only are the stars and the sky and the beauty of nature and the magnificence of, of mountains and oceans and rivers and streams and innumerable types of animals and beautiful creatures. Those little hummingbirds at Chuck and Joyce's house in their backyard that come up to Joyce's window, they're beautiful little hummingbirds. And those hummingbirds are humming a tune of their very own. And yet in that melody, they're testifying of the designer of these wonders. And Psalm 19 then brings it not as a canvas of art, but then also as a stage of dynamic drama. And he shows it, he compares the rising of the sun. Now think, what could be more mundane in our lives every day, even that the weatherman at WBAL tells us sunrise is going to be at 6.02 a.m. or whatever it may be. What could be more mundane than a sunrise in our lives? What could be more daily? What has more everyness to it than every person on the planet in the 24 time zones are experiencing what, from the visual perspective, we call a sunrise. We know it's really the Earth rotating on its axis, but we still all call it a sunrise. How many of you still call it a sunrise? Don't you? Okay, you're all right. You're all right with that. We, we don't have to be. We don't have to be that particular, right? <laughs> So God gives us this mundaneness of a sunrise, and yet he dramatizes it in verse 4 as if it's a strong man in a tent. It's, a, it's like the stellar heavens, the universe is this giant tent. And the sun oh, kind of wakes up in the morning, unzips the tent, 
Some of us that have camped, you know, we go camping, you know, you always have to unzip that tent, you know, you're going to climb out. Usually you're feeling kind of dreary and, you know, you know, kind of a little bit not that clean, kind of wish you had a shower the night before and all that kind of stuff. And so you're in a tent, but, but in our tents, in our little camper, it's a little tiny thing, but Psalm 19, 4 and 5 is saying that the universe is this tent. And the sun whoo, wakes up, gets up in the morning, and pops out the door of the tent. And God has designed this to show his provision. Jesus referred to this. Jesus talked about this in, in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, the sun rises on the who? The evil and the good. Didn't he? Jesus said, the sun rises on the just and the unjust. What does that mean? That means exactly what Psalm 19 was saying. There is an everyness to the creation of God, and God has made it available to everybody. And that the purpose of this is dramatized even further by the fact that this creates questions in the minds of human beings. It's, it's one of many reasons that C.S. Lewis referred to this psalm when he was, you know, the famous uh, professor of English literature at Oxford University. C.S. <coughs> Lewis said, Psalm 19 is the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. This 19th Psalm. Even from a literary manuscript standpoint, what you hold in your hands today in your copy of the Word of God is a priceless treasure. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim His handiwork. And then we get to a conclusion in verse 14 that we pray, O oh Lord, if this is true, oh, may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable. So that in the midst of this, the emphasis really here is on a continuous, comprehensive communication to every human being. Notice in verse 3 and 4 of the personal pronouns, the plural pronouns there. That, that occur there four times. There, the other there, is no speech nor language. That is, there's no other speech nor language where there, their voice, the plural, the skies, the cell, who's there? It's talking about the, the creation, their voice. But they're quiet. It's a built-in irony in the text. The silent witness of outer space and the beauty of the skies and the magnitude of creation has this voice to us. Romans 1 explained it. It's an evidence of the designer God. And it's aimed at provoking questions in the heart. Again, verse 4 here, the text I have on the screen is the old, the King James older English. Their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world, in them has he set a tent for the sun. And as, as, as he describes that sunrise coming out of the tent, then he switches the images in the next verse with two illustrations. First, that sun waking up in the tent, bursting out as sunrise, is like a bridegroom. In the time that the psalm was written, the Hebrew custom of a wedding was almost the exact opposite of the way we think of a wedding generally where uh, for us 
in a traditional service, the, the, bride, the bridegroom and the best man and the providing, presiding officer are, are waiting and the, the songs are playing and the bridesmaids are coming down the aisle and the flower girl is dropping petals and we're all waiting for this moment when we see the bride. That's, that's the high point of every wedding for us. In the Hebrew culture, in some sense, the, the drama and the suspense and the anticipation was designed sort of like that, but in reverse in the sense that the wedding party all assembled, the bride is being prepared in her chamber, she's still being cloistered temporarily, but what they're waiting for is that there was an element of suspense and uncertainty of exact timing. They knew the day, but the bridegroom, there's kind of a, a playfulness, a dance in the design of the Hebrew wedding so that when the bridegroom comes out of his chamber might be down the road at, at where they're preparing and his friends and they're coming to get the bride this is the moment that then the crescendo of the wedding begins and then the bride is brought out to the bridegroom so all of the suspense is, is a little different culturally for them and this phrase in Psalm 19 5 says that the sun bursting out in the morning. We think, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That happens every day. That's right, it happens every day. Turn around and tell somebody every day. Every day. Tell somebody, everybody gets to see. Everybody gets to see. All right. And so he says, but this is like, but this is like a bridegroom. We look at it as a sunrise. Uh, what did WJL say? You know, what did Fox 45 say? No, but but for them. He's saying, God is saying every day, it's like the bridegroom bursting out of his chamber. God is meeting you with a new day. Maybe that's why the Hebrew psalmist wrote in chapter 118, verse 23, this is the day that the, help me, the Lord has Let us rejoice. Yeah, let's do it. Let us rejoice and be glad. Oh yeah, that's what Psalm 19 is saying. You should be glad you woke up this morning. Amen. And then he, he says, not only was it like a bridegroom, he says it's like a it's like a champion rejoicing to run his course. The drumming in the psalm is giving us kind of this tick-tock, this kind of regularity reflected like in the filler on the roof with that. Wonderful song, sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset. It's a reminder that a good and faithful, loving, almighty creator has made it possible for all of us to be recipients of something we could never design, we could have never thought of, we could have never conceived in all of our lives. And yet we benefit from it because verse 6 goes on to explain and to, to complete this picture of this natural phenomenon and what it means. That verse 6 says that it's rising from one end of the heavens and it's circuit to the other end. That TikTok song, that sunrise, sunset, is like a, a regular circuit. It's like that. It's like that U.S. Postal Service driver that comes by your house 
every day and opens your mailbox. It's a circuit. It's a circuit. You say, boy, that's pretty boring. Yeah. But the circuit in the heavens is a reminder of a phenomenal magnificence of Almighty God. Something that seems so mundane and so ordinary and so commonplace. God says in Psalm 19, is one of a thousand and one ways that your loving God has made, has disclosed himself to you. I, I like the, the paraphrase, the paraphrase of verse 6 that Eugene Peterson brings in his uh, classic paraphrase called The Message. His translation of this is interesting. When he gets to this part of verse 6 about the sun bursting out of its tent, the message translates it, that's how God's word vaults across the sky. From sunrise to sunset, melting ice, scorching deserts, and warming hearts to faith. This is the gift of God. This is the gift of God. And I want to pray with you now before we go. We'll go into the second segment of that next week. I want to pray that you would be today, above all, above all things, that you would be able to embrace what a gift it is in a simple way as a child of God to be able to see that so many of the design aspects of Almighty God for us in creation are uniquely priceless to you and me because we do know our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father. The Romans 1 passage we've looked at reminds us that, that it's, it's, it's a place where no part of the earth is deprived of this warmth. Isn't that wonderful? It's saying, God, there is no human being deprived of a visual or auditory or sensory connection to nature in some way. And that in that connection, there is, yes, a quiet and yet a very real working of the self-disclosure of Almighty God. And yet, and yet, and yet, as great as that is, what we'll see in verse 7 to 11 is that it pales in comparison to the self-disclosure of Almighty God in written Scripture. Lord, we now pray that in the coming days of this week, we would walk with a new wonder and a, in, an enriched gratitude for the commonplace that is chock full of the signs of your design. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.